book of First Timothy again. If you guys remember before Christmas, if you guys can remember back that far, on, on December 17th, we went through this passage, and this is a longer passage. It's very in-depth, very complex, and so we broke it up into two weeks, all right? So I'm going to do a little bit of recap first, then we'll go into the second part. But I thought it was so important to spend extra time on this passage because it's so complex. Um, and we'll talk about how, we, we basically talk about how we approach God's Word, how we're supposed to read God's Word, um, and when we read God's Word, like what is God saying? So we'll talk about that all this morning. And if, if this goes too long, then I'll split today's message and then finish it up next week as well because I don't want to rush through this because I think it's so incredibly important. So I'm going to read the whole passage, even what we covered last week or on the 17th, and then we'll, we'll go through it. Okay? Uh, it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. If you have your Bibles or your phone or you want to look at the screens. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. Paul says this, I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness, and self-control. Let's pray. God, uh, we don't want to skip over any texts because they're difficult. Um, we believe your word is holy, and it's good, and uh, it's useful for correction, um, teaching, and, and uplifting of the church. So, God, speak to us and through us through your word, God. Let not my opinions or thoughts come through, but only your word. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said? Okay. So what we talked about last week was how to read God's Word, and this is very simplified, but the first part is um, there is, when we read the Bible, we got to decide, is this, what part is a cultural expression which changes from age to age? Because we know the Bible was written, you know, in about 90 AD, 80 AD, around that time period, the whole canon of Scripture was written. Uh, almost 2,000 years ago. Um, so some of it is a cultural expression, which changes, um, and that's a command specific for that date and time. The other is what part of the text is a universal truth? A universal truth is, is this is true back then, it's true in Genesis, it's true until Jesus returns. Does that make sense? What part is cultural? What part is universal? And the universal never changes. Um, and so... We looked at the first part, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. I think we have that up there. I won't read it again. I'll just show you it. Um, that's what we studied the first week. And it really talked about two things in that first week in the church service. Because this is like how to conduct yourselves in church services. And it was dealing with divisive men and distracting women. Divisive men and distracting women. Um, and so it talks about men are, are to strive for unity don't quarrel and fight, you know, build up the brother, 
build up each other first. There, could be, there should be no division in the church um, at all. Uh, lifting up holy hands is more of a cultural expression because that's how men prayed back then. But we know it's not a sin to pray like this. It's not a sin to pray like this. It's not a command. Like, that was more of a cultural expression versus than universal. But not going to God praying with anger in your heart is a universal truth. Right? So he's saying you, when you pray, your hands should be holy, meaning that you should have no grievances in your heart. There should be no anger or quarreling. So that's, that was the device of men peace. The second part was distracting women in the church gatherings. Um, it says women should um, adorn themselves in respectable apparel. It also says you should draw attention to yourself or adorn yourselves with your good works. And what we kind of talked about was a woman's beauty, what makes a woman beautiful is her devotion to Jesus. It's not her outward appearance. It's not what she has the latest style, whether she has the best features. It's saying, women, uh, draw, if you want to draw attention, draw, let it be your good works and your devotion to Christ, which draws attention to you. Specifically, single women as well. You know, attract a godly man with your good deeds, not expensive clothes or immodest clothes or things that just show off your body. Um, that's, we talked a little bit about worldly beauty versus godly beauty. And godly beauty is what they said, adorn yourself in good works. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Now we go into the second part. The second part is obviously a bit more complicated. There's a lot of things to unpack. So we need to remind ourselves about the principle of harmony. The principle of harmony says this. We are to interpret each individual, individual scripture in light of all scripture. And that means this. Um, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is what? God breathes. All scripture is what? Meaning that all scripture has different human authors, but one author, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God is the author. So if two verses seem to contradict in the Bible, we should look at all the scriptures that have to do with that, put them together, and find the harmony in it. Because ultimately, the, we need to say that all the Word of God is unified. Um, and if we think it's contradictory, well, God doesn't contradict herself, so it's usually an error on our part, not God's. Okay? Um, that's a principle of harmony. And with that, it's understood that we read each passage in its whole context. You can't take one verse and pull it out of context. Um, otherwise, it changes its meaning, right? I think just before this, I was talking to, I think, Bruce, and he showed me a text, and it was just one, one, like, text bubble in a string of text messages. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means unless I read, like, 30 texts beforehand. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? I can't read just one text. It just, just doesn't make sense. It's going to be weird. Um, you might say, hey, I love Coke, and that could mean a couple very different things. <laughs> right, Bruce? Yeah. You don't love Coke? Okay. More of a Pepsi guy? Okay. All right. So, now that we looked at those principles of context and harmony, and is it cultural, is it universal, um, we're going to look at, we're going to talk for a minute about specific issues of gender. Okay? Like, specific issues of gender. Now, gender is a hot topic in our day. Um, whether it is in your circles of work, whether it is in your circles of school, 
or whether the, the media just wants to tell us what to believe about gender, uh, gender's all around us, right? Um, and it's distorted. It's distorted because the world says that um, you can choose your gender. That's not true. We are born with the gender that God's assigned to us, and um, it's kind of like you can't really choose your age. <laughs> like if I, I can't say I feel like I'm, I'm 16 today, so when I fill out paperwork, I can't say I'm 16. I'm, I'm actually 39. Um, so we cannot choose our gender. This, the world's telling us we can. Crazy, not true, um, not biblical. The world's telling us that some people don't have a gender, and that's why when you select gender on any profile, there's male, there's female, there's non-binary, which means I don't have a gender. Um, this isn't true. This isn't, this isn't what God has for the world. This wasn't what God has for his people, and we weren't created with that. And I know, I know most of us know that, but it's important to say these truths out loud um, because we so, hear so many other things. Um, and so it's good to talk about this. And listen, the world that doesn't know Jesus, I'm not here to judge what they do. Um, if people don't know Jesus, there's going to be a lot of things that aren't true that they believe, and I'm not going to judge every little thing and, you know, beat them up or hate them for it. People who don't know Jesus need one thing, and that's a relationship with Christ. So, yes, they're going to believe some things. Uh, it can't permeate into the church. We can't believe it. Um, and if people do, then we love them and tell them about Jesus, all right? Um, that's our goal, is to love people, tell them about Jesus. So, um, yeah, so, so we're going to talk about gender for a minute. So I could talk for three weeks on Genesis 1 through 3, which really is a foundation for where we learn about gender and where we learn about uh, men and women and how they are created. But I'm just going to breeze through it with two reminders from Genesis 1 through 3. If you want to study Genesis 1 through 3, you could do that and follow up with these reminders. But the first is this. Um, God created men and women with equal dignity. God created men and women with equal dignity. Uh, that is, male and female were created valuable before God, Therefore, to demean men or women is a sin against God. To, to think that women are lower than men is a sin. To, to demean women, to demean men, is a sin before God. Um, Paul's instruction with 1 Timothy 2 have nothing to do with the value of men and women. Rather, he's talking about the roles of men and women, which leads to the second reminder. The second reminder from Genesis 1 through 3 is this. God created men and women with complementary roles. With complementary roles. Um, men and women are different and distinct in their respective roles. Men were created with a role that complements women, and women were created with a role that complements men. They work together complementary, and God created us with that way. Even when you think about when Eve was created, it was said that man needs a what? Who remembers? A helper. It's saying man needs a helper. And so this woman was created different than man in a lot of ways to complement him. And actually the man compliments her. And it works out so, so beautifully. And we see this. Um, we see uh, the difference of roles. It's God's design. And the goal and heart of part of today is 
is for you, each of us, do you know your role as, do you know your God-given role as a husband? And do you know how you compliment your wife? Does, do women know their God-given role towards their husbands? And do they know how to compliment their husbands? Do they know their God-given role as a woman of God? Not what the world says, because the world's going to say something, but do, do the women of J-Road understand who God's created us to be in our marriages? And as a woman in general, even single women, and does, does, do men know their God-given roles in their marriages and in, in the world? So that's, that's my heart behind this as well. Um, but we see differences of roles um, in the Trinity. Um, if you look at the Trinity, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the Father is fully God, and the Son, Jesus, is fully God. Yet the Father and the Son have different roles, and the Son submits to the Father, and the Father directs the Son. Um, we see the Son submits to the Father in Philippians 2.8. Um, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to who? Obedient to the Father. Um, to the death, even death on the cross. So Jesus was obedient to God the Father, even though he was no less God. Okay? And the Father directs the Son. In John 14, 31, it says, But he comes, Jesus is speaking here, talking about the Holy Spirit, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So if you see this beautiful picture in the Trinity, Jesus, who is no less than God, puts himself in submission to God and says, I'll do your, I'll, I'll do your will, God. And he puts himself in submission. Um, the son doesn't complain like, oh, I got to submit to the father. And the father doesn't domineer himself over the son. It's important to know that. So we, we see this complementary but also difference of roles in the Trinity, even though there's no less value or dignity in the Trinity. Is that good? Okay. Uh, the second we see this is in the home. Um, God has designed men and women with equal dignity and complementary roles. God's good design is seen in the home as husband and wife relate to each other, um, uh, relate to each other with specific complementary roles. Okay. So in a marriage, talking about in, in, the, in the covenant of marriage, when you choose to get married, um, there are differences. They're equal in value. Husband is no better than the wife. Wife's no better than the husband. But there's differences in roles. Um, and we see this in Ephesians 5.22 through, um, 5, through 28. I'll put this whole passage up here. Um, and this is a very common, uh, this is one of our most foundational verses when it comes to marriage. And it says this, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but it gives two directives, one for the wives and one for the husbands. Um, they're different roles and responsibilities, um, equal in value and equal in dignity. Okay? Um, the, the first is for wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, uh, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, meaning the man that you chose to marry, that you said I do to and did your wedding vows to, you are choosing to submit to your own husband as to the Lord. So, so wives are given the directives to submit. And then if you skip down to verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, these, 
these marriage roles, so husbands, that's for you, wives, that's for you. These roles are meant to be said in context. Like wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, okay? If both husband and wife are living out their God-given roles in marriage, a marriage is a beautiful thing. So here's like the two things. If you really want to break it down, wives are called to submit, husbands are called to die. Wives are called to submit, husbands are called to die. Die to themselves, die to their desires, die to their need. And so a marriage works best when there is submit and die. Submit and die. It's not submit or die. It's submit and die. And that's, you might think, hey, that's kind of a gloomy way to describe marriage. But this is how marriage works. Husbands are called to die to themselves and love their wives as Christ loved the church. They have to put their wives um, before themselves. Jesus washed, washed the church's feet as an example, mainly for husbands and wives. And so, for people that are single and for people that are married, maybe people that are newly married, if you got into marriage thinking that it was about serving you or meeting your desires or just all about you, it's really all about the other person. And it's this energizing effect. So husbands are called to die to themselves and wives are called to submit to their husbands. It's not about getting your needs fulfilled. It's really just about pouring into the other person. You and your husband are to outserve each other. In, in husbands, you are to outserve your wife. And as leaders of the home, it's not domineering. It's not walking around the house and pounding your fist and saying, where's my dinner? Like that is not loving your wife as Christ loved the church, right? Leadership in the home looks like you have your eyes always on your wife and her needs. What's going on like with the laundry? Laundry's a, if you have any kids, laundry's a never-ending mountain of battle. And if you see your wife over there doing laundry, you put the beer down, you put the remote down, and you say, honey, let me get the laundry. If you see the dishes piling up, you say, hey, I'm going to take care of this. If you see your wife is stressed, what can I do? You're putting her first, and you're loving her like Christ loved the church. Also, you're putting her spiritual well-being as one of your main priorities. The wife shouldn't have to be the one to beat her husband over the head and say, hey, are we going to church today? The husband's like, hey, we're going to, like making sure that, hey, we're going to pray before meals. We're going to go to church. We're going to do this. I'm going to take the responsibility, not because I'm the boss, not because I'm the dictator, because I want to make sure that we are right before God. And, and husbands are giving, given that direction. It says, wives submit to your husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through the water, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, are you putting your wife's needs, desires, interests before your own? And are you dying to yourself daily? And wives, 
are you submitting to your husband's leadership? Are you letting your husband lead the home? And I'll talk about this in a minute. But God usually sets up a design. And what happens is, is Satan usually distorts it, changes it. And what I see, and I'm going off script a little bit, but I really want to say this because I see this a lot. When I talk about this, some people, you know, think about men walking around the house, beating their fists, saying, hey, you know, being domineering over their wives. I, in my, I started ministry in 07, so you guys can do the math. In my years of ministry, I only have seen that maybe once, where a wife said, maybe once, maybe twice, where my husband is just being a bully. And he says, oh, I'm the man, I, I'm doing this. What I've seen dozens and dozens of times is the husband abdicates or gives up his leadership role and his wife has no other choice but to take it over. The husband is not being the spiritual leader of the home. The husband is not caring for the wife's needs, looking over the family. You know, when there's a problem with the neighbor across the street, the husband's sending out the wife to take care of it. And like, the husband is giving up his God-given leadership role in the home, and the wife has no other option but to take it on herself. And so she's in a role where God didn't necessarily want her to be in, and she doesn't really want to be in, but she has to. And she's like, I usually hear that. My husband isn't leading. He takes golf seriously. He takes football seriously. He takes drinking with his buddies seriously. But me and the kids are second class. When it comes to his video games, he's, he's, he's serious about that. <laughs> I hear him yelling in the basement. <laughs> yes, exactly. Somebody just nudged their husband. Hey, get off the video games. <laughs> but husbands need to put their wives first and love them, take care of them, and take care of the kids. And it's the same with, like, when we have children. Like, husbands should be taking the initiative of, like, disciplining the children and saying, um, you know, like, we're not, like, the wife shouldn't always be hounding them. Like, he should, be, he should be putting his family first. That is his responsibility. So there are different roles there in the home. Um, we see it in the Trinity. We see it in the home. Um, and then we see it in the church as well. Um, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, um, it tells us there's complementary roles in the church as well. Um, men and women have distinct roles to fulfill when God's people gather together um, in the church. Um, but we should remember Paul's instruction in this passage are not new, for they are in accord with what's seen in Genesis 1 through 3. Um, whether in the home or the church, God has assigned equal value to men and women, yet with roles that complement each other. Um, and so we've considered those principles. We've talked about harmony. We've talked about the reminders. So let's look at the text, okay? We see here um, in verse 12, well, verse 11 and 12. Um, actually, Bruce, can you go back to, like, the first slide, please? Okay. So this is the whole passage. Um, if you guys look, if you could read in verse 11, that's kind of the first part of the passage, but it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. There's, there's a couple of verses that I think are more uh, cultural or, or seen in the context. And that's the first question you ask is like, is it wrong for a woman to speak in church at all? Because it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, and she is to remain quiet in church. 
Uh, many churches have, many denominations take this and run with it to the point of like they take, they've, they've missed the cultural implications, they miss the contextual implications, they've missed the principle of harmony, which says you have to take the whole Bible in its truth, and they say that. Like women, you can't speak, because if this is true, women shouldn't pray on the worship team, women shouldn't do anything, if it's true. But again, if you take the principle of harmony, if you take the principle of context, um, and I'll read in other places, but in other places in the church body, Paul uh, encourages women to pray and prophesy in the church. Women are, women are encouraged to teach. Women are encouraged to use all the gifts. Like, women aren't only given half of the gifts, right? So, I mean, we have to read that in context. It's not saying that. Um, in the context, like, there's really, like, he says two prohibitions. It's, um, and we could go back to that slide we were on, Bruce. Um, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So he's saying the first prohibition is, I do not, um, I do not permit a woman to teach a man, and I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man, to teach a man or have authority over a man. Um, so, so we see that's in his context. Um, and so we see in Titus 2.3, and I'll talk about this in a minute, it does talk about women teaching younger women. So women do, do have the gift of teaching, and other times it does. We see women praying and prophesying in the church setting in 1 Corinthians 11. So women have a role to speak up and be a part of church service. But you, and then you, you go in the second command of uh, women should not have authority over men. So it's like, what is Paul saying? To understand what Paul is saying, you have to read these together. And what he's basically saying is, I uh, women are not to teach and not to exercise authority over a man. And to look at that in its setting, we have to go to the very next verse. We, we don't have it on the screen, but next week when we talk about uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it goes into the next chapter. What's the next chapter about? It's about elders, pastors, and overseers. And so he's talking about women teaching to have authority over a man, and he goes right into what's an elder. And so... Um, in chapter 3, he talks about elder, elders have authority in the church. So that is true. Elders are overseers. They have authority over the church. We, as Jay wrote, we have a board of elders. Um, and I don't make, despite what you may think, I don't make every decision at Jay Road. That would be not good <laughs> for many reasons. My wife could attest to that. I'm not good at making every decision. Um, I'm wrong. Uh, I, I only have certain gifts. So we have an elder board, a plurality of leaders. The elder board oversees a church. In the, in the Bible, there's always a group of people that lead a church. It's not one person, right? There's not like a pope in, in, in our church, <laughs> right? Um, that makes all the decisions because one person could be led astray, but a group of people, there's wisdom. Um, so he talks about elders' roles to have authority. And Elders express their authority by doing what? Teaching. Talks about this in, this in this next week. Elders express their role by teaching. So here, Paul is pointing out the two primary responsibilities of an elder. Authority and teaching. Authority and teaching. And so in the context of 1 Timothy, uh, elders do two things. They lead and teach. To put it another way, they lead with the authority to teach. Or they, I'm sorry, they teach with the authority to lead. Um, elders' roles to shepherd and teach the church, um, sometimes calling out sin, sometimes rebuking, sometimes encouraging. But 
we teach with the authority to lead, okay? And so what we believe the real prohibition is, which you bring in the context of the harmony of this verse, the real prohibition is women should not teach as elders in the church. If you look at what Paul is saying. Um, can we see that next slide? Um, women should not teach, and we say with the principle of harmony, what this verse is actually saying is, um, should women never teach? No, because the principle of harmony, we see women teaching throughout the Bible. What it's saying is, is that women shouldn't teach um, as elders in the church, um, because that would be teaching with authority over men. Um, men who don't have the gift of teaching or are, are not qualified um, should not teach. Um, likewise, they should not be elders if they're not qualified either. Um, men should not teach if they're not gifted. Um, we see more about elder qualifications in the next chapter, but Paul was making it clear here that even a woman who has the gift of teaching is not intended to teach as elder. And so that would answer some of the questions we talked about last week are, um, in order to be a lead pastor um, with the Christian Missionary Alliance, you have to be an elder. So in our denomination, like, a woman can't be a lead pastor over a church. And so I'm, I have the title of lead pastor, but I'm, I'm also an elder, like one among equal peers. Um, and so, but Paul and other New Testament authors also made it clear that women should teach. So again, you might be like, hey, you're contradicting yourself. What I'm saying is, and what I believe the Bible is saying, because again, this isn't my opinion, this is what I'm taking from God's word, is women can teach, but just not from the seat of elder. We've had women here teach on Sundays. It was awesome. Like, we want women to use their gifts. And, and it talks about this throughout the New Testament. Um, they make it clear that women should teach. Um, there are all sorts of teaching possibilities for women. Um, in Titus 2.3, I think we have a list here for you. In Titus 2.3, it says that older women should teach the younger women. So those of women who have the gift of teaching should teach the young, younger women. Um, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.5, that it says women pray and prophesy in the church, um, given a prophetic word. Um, teaching is another prophetic way of, of prophecy. Um, also, there's these, a lot of universal truths that was for the whole church, both men and women. We believe that Matthew 28, which says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, um, you know, in all the ways— that, that wasn't a command just for men, but it was a command for women, men and women to make disciples of all nations. Um, Colossians 3.16, Paul told the whole church, men and women, to be teaching and admonishing one another as the word of Christ dwelt in them richly. So we do believe that women have all the gifts, and they should use their gifts for the body. Uh, what Paul is saying here in this verse is that women shouldn't teach from the chair of authority over man. Well, that would just be from the position of elder. And so when women teach up here on a Sunday morning or at an evangelism training or you name it, like any youth group, uh, children's ministry, any position we have, they do so under the authority of the Jared elders. And I'm not saying that for women only. Every time I come up here, I am teaching under the authority of the Jared elders. What do I mean by that? Is I answer to the elders of everything I say up here. If I say something out of line, they would be the ones to call me up. 
and I submit to them, right? Um, I don't teach anything that, they, that the elders wouldn't approve of, and it's um, the, same, the same with women in the church. Um, so it goes to the second part, okay? Um, in this part, I could probably cover in like six minutes, seven minutes, and then the worship team will come forward, okay? But I think this part's important because it's kind of confusing. Verse 13, if you guys look up on the screens, uh, verse 13 through 15, he goes on to say, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness uh, with self-control. Um, so here in 13, Paul gives a couple points to round out his teaching. Um, God's design in creation gives um, authority, headship uh, to, to men. This uh, is a universal truth, which is timeless and not cultural. As I said, uh, Satan's distortion of the truth is man gives up his authority and a woman as assumes it. A woman assumes it. And we talked about this in the home where a husband refuses to lead and a wife takes over um, as leader. And she may not want it, but she feels like her husband isn't doing anything to lead the home, so she has to step in that role, which she may not want. But here, Paul is referencing Adam and Eve because that's what happened with Adam and Eve, okay? Uh, he says that it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman. Uh, he's, not saying that the, um, he's not saying here that women shouldn't lead because they're more easily deceived. He's not saying that. And there are some teachings out there that say women are more easily deceived than men. I, I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that women are more gullible than men. What, I, what Paul is making a point here with Adam and Eve is that, Ad, that Satan usurped man's authority because in the marriage relationship of Adam and Eve, who did Satan go to as leader of the home? He went to the woman. He did not go to the man. And when Eve eats of the fruit that she wasn't supposed to, who was with her the whole time? Her, her husband. Like, Adam wasn't gone. Adam was right with her when she was being deceived. He didn't step in. He didn't protect her. He abandoned his role as leader of the home. And Eve took over, made the, the executive decision to eat the apple, and Adam just sat by. Man abandoned his role that God gave him. Woman assumed it. And so he's not saying that women are more easily deceived. He's saying that Adam sat back and did nothing, and God's design was distorted. And even Satan purposely distorted God's design by just totally not even going to Adam. He went to Eve. Um, and so he's not saying that women are just more gullible. That's not true. Um, in short, sin entered the world when Adam abdicated his God-given responsibility to lead. And so the, the fault is on Adam. I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches that. Paul is saying that God's design for men to lead in the church is good. God's design uh, for men to lead as husbands is good. Um, and so he's referencing Adam and Eve for that. And so in the last verse, he says this, um, Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love and holiness and self-control. Again, if you're reading the Bible like for the first time, you're like, how is a woman saved through childbearing? Um, I'll tell you what this doesn't mean from the principle of harmony in the context. It doesn't mean that you have to have, a woman has to have a child to be saved. 
Number one, Paul said, if a woman can, it's better to be single. If, it's, if a woman or man can be single, hey, it's great. Be single. So he encouraged them to be single. Um, and if this was true, every church would say to all women, hey, have kids as soon as possible because your eternity depends on it, right? <laughs> You're going to hell unless you have some kids. Um, he is not saying that you are saved through childbearing, um, through having a baby. He, uh, what, what most scholars believe this passage is saying, so again, part of it's a mystery, but what I, I believe it's saying, and I'll explain why, is that Eve's salvation would come through childbearing. So if you look up here, uh, yet she, uh, who, talking about Eve, she will be saved through childbearing. Um, who is the child that came through the line of Eve? Obviously all women, but Jesus, okay? Um, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God did a curse over man, God did a curse over women, God did a curse over the serpent. In, in, in Genesis 3, 14 through 15, it says this. This is the curse. God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. So maybe snakes had legs? Don't know. But, but now on snakes have to crawl on their belly. Um, uh, all the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring as hers. And here's the prophetic verse about Jesus Christ in Genesis 3. It says, uh, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is a prophetic verse about Jesus. That a child born through Eve, who would be Jesus, the mother Mary, you will strike his heel, meaning that you'll put him on the cross, that you will hurt him, but you won't, it won't be fatal. You'll strike his heel, but what will Jesus do to you? He will crush your head. So Satan's head was literally crushed. His power was broken at the cross. And this is the prophetic verse speaking of Jesus. And so, if we go back one verse, please, um, to, that, to that complicated verse, it says, and Adam was from first and before Eve, and then she'll be saved through childbearing, is that Eve's salvation, and I believe all the Old Testament saints, their salvation came from their childbearing because Jesus was born on Christmas Day through the mother Mary. And all those saints that died before Jesus will be saved because of Eve's childbearing. And so this complicated verse if we understand it, makes a whole lot more sense. And it doesn't mean that women without kids are not saved. <laughs> it means that, that, that this one child that came through Eve, Jesus, will save all. So, uh, we unpacked a lot here. Uh, worship team, you guys can come and get in place. We'll sing this last song. Um, so here's my conclusion. Many women can see this passage today and think this. Women uh, can't hardly do anything in the church. If you read this verse for the first time, you think women can't do anything in the church. And maybe if you're a woman here today, you feel like, I don't even feel like I have a place in the church. I'm here to say that that is not true. Our job, my job and the elders that we have here at J-Road, our job is to equip men and women to do all the work of the ministry. 
And if you feel called to teach youth, we want, Brian will equip you to do that. They have awesome women leaders that are doing an amazing job. There is no men are better than women in church or men are more gifted than women. Like, listen, we have a lot of extremely gifted women in the church. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I feel like I have the gift of teaching and I don't feel like I could use that here. Like, come let me know and let the elders know. Because there are so many places to teach here at J-Road. And we want to empower you. If you say, like, no matter what, like, no matter, like, any, any place you want to do ministry, we'll put you. Like, again, um, the, our job is to equip all men and women. I do believe men and women have equal dignity, and they were made with complementary roles towards each other. And that's how God designed us. And it's good. Like, do, like, if you were to look at our marriage, Nicole and I, uh, again, in everything I said here today, I believe she would amen. If not, I'll tell you later that she didn't think a, part, a certain part was right. But if you look at our marriage, we are 100% a team. We make decisions together. We talk about things together. I get off course more often than not, and she directs me back on course. She gets off course, and guess what? I direct her back on course. I feel like the marriage covenant, the marriage role, I feel like I take a greater responsibility in making sure that our vows are kept. She does too, but I feel like, man, I, I, God's put me in this role to make sure that I'm being not passive, but intentional about loving her and taking care of her and making sure that spiritually she's okay. Um, and... Maybe you're here today and your husband isn't that, or maybe your, your, your husband's not super involved. Um, the Bible has a whole passage about husbands that don't believe. You know what they say? Submit to their husbands and love them. Love them, serve them, and by your good works you will win them to Christ. Like, don't lose faith in our husbands that aren't following Jesus. Why? Or husbands, same way. If your wife's not here and she doesn't love Jesus, I mean, keep leading her, keep praying for her, keep loving her. Because by your good works, you'll lead her to Christ. So let's pray. God, we love you. God, uh, your word is good and your word never returns void. Um, there's a lot to unpack today. So I pray that your Holy Spirit continues to teach us throughout the day and throughout the week. And uh, God, just use each one of us in the church. God, there's so many things to do in your kingdom. There's so many responsibilities enlist each and every one of us to fulfill them. So we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.